Good morning, how are you guys doing today? So, like John said in the announcements, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jake, I'm the high school youth director here. I've been in the job for about three months, so some of you may not know, but high schoolers, for those here this morning, I'm sorry you got to hear me talk twice this week, but I think you guys can deal with it a little bit more. A little bit more. But before we get into the um, sermon, will you guys all bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to come and speak to your congregation. Lord, I pray for those who are new and old um, coming into these doors, Lord, who you have called um, to hear the word today. Lord, I pray that you just open up their eyes and their ears, and most importantly, their hearts uh, to what your spirit has to say uh, through me today. Lord, I pray that you may encourage us, edify us, Lord, convict us this morning, and I pray that as we learn about what your kingdom truly is, that we can go and live out our citizenship uh, this week. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, so how was everybody's 4th of July this week? The good, who who had some pretty bomb food? Yeah, okay, only a few hands, sorry. Moms, dad, whoever cooked, I feel sorry for you guys. Who had... Who had or saw illegal fireworks this week? Yeah, okay, good. Who, who had the illegal fireworks? Okay, yeah, I, I understand, I understand. Well, I hope you guys had a great week. Uh, my 4th of July was a little bit weird, a little bit down. The, the valley-wide uh, fireworks, I just, I wasn't feeling them this week. And I remember sitting out in the street trying to watch the fireworks when we were sitting at um, uh, my girlfriend's house and they would just be like one every 10, 20 seconds. And I would hear just a big old one go in the backyard. I'd run through, I'd miss that one. I'd hear another one on the other side of the street, have to run back, and I did that about five or 10 times. I was pretty, I was pretty sad, but the food was good. But anyways, I'm really glad you had all, you all had a good 4th of July. Even though it was, it's a good excuse to eat great food, have a great time with family, see some pretty cool fireworks, I think this the same way as Christmas, that kind of cliche, like, do we really know what Christmas is for? I want to ask the same question um, this morning with you guys. Do we really know what 4th of July is really celebrating? And July 4th, 1776 is when the Declaration of Independence was ratified. It's when we separated fully from the kingdom of Great Britain. And this theme of kingdom, we're going to be going through that a lot this morning. And preparing for this message, I really try to think, like, how, how do we define a kingdom um, in our time? Is it really just, when a king comes to our mind, just stone walls and knights guarding the, the gates and you got a king just sitting up on his throne? Or is it a lot more? I would say it would be a lot more. We could think about the land ruled, whether it's territories or countries or neighboring nations uh, with guarded walls surrounding it. It could be the citizens, whether the citizens are good, um, whether they're evil, how much uh, crime there is in the kingdom. Uh, it can be based on like the military, how much power and authority and control it has over its people, over the land, over any ter- territory that it has. It could be based on the laws or the government, right? How they dictate morality, whether they show what's right and wrong, what's illegal, could, uh, what's illegal there, or what's right there could be totally different in other places. It could be based on conquering enemies and having a bunch of treasure from different wars that you have. But the one I'd like to focus on this morning is the king. The king or queen who is in control around these kingdoms. Like America, America is a nation, democracy. We don't have a king, we have a president, but that's not the same thing. Uh, So the closest thing that we can think of now would be uh, Great Britain with uh, King Philip now. I'm sorry, um, King uh, Charles. And 
With that, we're gonna be playing a little bit of a guessing game. So I got a, I got a few slides of different kings that we have. I, I'm starting off with a pretty hard one, so if you know it, I'll be pretty impressed. Just shout it out, but please, Thursday night was kind of lousy, so please participate. I know John asked you the same thing. We're gonna be starting it right now. Let's see the first one. Who knows this guy? Not George Washington. This is actually jo um, King George. His name is George, King George III, who we separated right from, king, uh, from Great Britain in 1776. What about the next one? It gets easier, I promise. This is King Charles, right? Now uh, the king of uh, Britain, now that the, um, the queen has passed away. What about the next one? The Lion King, right? The king of the pride lands in the movie The Lion King. What about the next? King, yeah, Black Panther, King T'Challa. Who, who's a Marvel fan in here? I had four hands raised on Thursday night service, and I was pretty sick. We might have four now, so dang. That, yeah, King T'Challa, uh, king of Wakanda, for those of you who don't know, in the Marvel Universe. What about the last one? I give you a few examples. Not Jesus. David. King David, yeah, right? Fighting the, um, uh, David and the Goliath, that crazy story. And so as we're looking through all those slides, uh, we start thinking of qualities or characteristic traits of, of those kings. Right? Some are brave, as King David was fighting. Some can be very cruel and rude, um, very tyrannical. Others can be peaceful, giving, uh, sacrificial to their nation. But we see that a kingdom could be a direct reflection of its king, right? If a king or a queen is in love with God, a man after God's own heart, as King David uh, says in scripture, then the kingdom or the nation of Israel will be glorifying God, will be moving into being a great nation. If we see a king is malicious, only cares about war and oppression, getting whatever he wants, then chances are the kingdom is gonna be oppressed, the kingdom is gonna be just in the slums, beat up, hating their king. And so we see a kingdom is a direct reflection of its king. So Pastor John, he gave me chapter 18 uh, for this week. It's 40 verses. I know you don't wanna sit here for an hour and a half and hear all the verses. So we're gonna be going through the last uh, 13, I believe, verses 28 through 40. But to do that, I need to catch you up on last week for those of you who weren't here with us to hear John's uh, sermon on chapter 17, as well as the first 27 verses. So we start off, John chapter 17. Jesus gives his high priestly prayer, right? Praying to God, talking about, Lord, everything that you have, you have given me, all authority on earth and heaven has been given to me. I pray that my disciples, your children, whom you've given to me, will be one. I pray that they are one as you and I are one. And I pray that they are one so that the world may see that I have come from you, that they may be based in love. Right after this, Jesus, uh, Judas betrays Jesus right in the Garden of Gethsemane. All the Roman guards come to take Jesus and go in to throw him into interrogation. They go to this, place, this guy's place called Caiaphas, who's the high priest during that time, right? The person who's offering sacrifices and communicating with God. He's taken to his house. He's being questioned and interrogated um, for teachings and the disciples that he's made up over the last three years. And this is where Jesus gets accused of blasphemy, right? He claims to be the son of God and the Jewish uh, son of God and the Jewish leaders are not having it. And all while this is happening, I don't know if you've seen like the VeggieTales story or anything, but you see that Peter has been um, over this time denying uh, that, he, that he knows Jesus, right? Some girls come up to him saying, don't you know uh, the Galilean Jesus? He's like, no. A few moments later, he's just sitting around the campfire aren't you with that guy, Jesus? And no, 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 no. And he hears that little rooster crow. He gets all sad. He knew he messed up, just like Jesus said. But now, right after this interrogation, he's being taken to Pontius Pilate. Who's heard of Pilate? Pontius Pilate, the guy that crucified Jesus. So he's taken over to his house. He's the governor um, over that land, over Judea. And 
He's about to ask him some more, conversa- uh, more questions. Uh, the Jewish leaders are kind of in on it, telling Pilate what to be asking him. And so this is where we're off, uh, starting in verse 28. But as I'm reading these next uh, 13 verses, the theme of kingdom is going to be continuously coming up in here. So I, I offer you three kingdoms that I have been in, that more than likely you have all been in, but one most importantly that we all should be working our way towards. So we start off John 18, verses 28 through 32. It says this. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. There's two points that I would like to bring up with you guys this morning. Uh, The first one is they can't enter the governor's headquarters. And the reason for that is they don't want to get defiled. They don't want to be unclean or another way, just unable to be taken to Passover. They can, but they can lead an innocent man to death, and more importantly, they can reject God's Messiah. Right? I don't know if you read uh, the Exodus story of the Israelites and Moses uh, actually partaking in the Passover, but what it was doing was uh, you would smear lamb's blood over the um, uh, doorpost so that the angel of death would not be passing over us or passing over them, uh, because during that time the final plague was to kill um, the man's firstborn. And end up going to be Pharaoh's son. This is where they, they finally, he finally lets out the Israelites from Egypt. But this lamb's, lamb's blood that was saving them from the angel of death, saving them from condemnation, was all leading to Jesus, the Messiah, God's Messiah, who's been prophesied this whole time. The Jewish leaders, more than anybody, should be knowing this very well because of how much they know the scriptures, yet they choose to reject him. The second thing is, they evade specifying the crime that Jesus did, right? They said, well, if he didn't do anything bad, why would, why, why would we bring him to you, right? It's kind of like, for those of you who have kids, um, when a kid's bringing their, their sibling, their cousin, their friend up to you, you're saying like, oh, he hit me. Like, do something, do something to him. And the more you're like, okay, okay, what happened, what happened? And then you start finding out, okay, well, I, he hit me because I hit him. And I hit him because he tripped me, and he tripped me because I called him stupid. And the more and more you're asking him questions, it actually turns out that they're the ones that should be getting in trouble, right? So your kids are probably just saying, like, Mom, Dad, shut up. That, this isn't the point of me bringing him to you. I told you what he did wrong. Spank him, throw him in his room, take his doorpost off, ground him. I don't care what you do, but quit looking at me. They want Pilate to sign the contract but not read the fine print. They want him to be the executioner of Jesus, but they don't want him to be judge, right? They were already judges, uh, judges for themselves, saying that he claimed to be the son of God, claimed that he was blaspheming against God. All they needed Pilate to do was just hang him, hang him up on that cross. And later on uh, in Luke's account, uh, we see that the, the Jews actually did tell Pilate what, um, what Jesus did, right? He said that he was perverting the nation, which is a lie, right? He was bringing the nation, uh, the kingdom of Jews, uh, to a better relationship with God, towards holiness, towards righteousness, a relationship that God was intending the entire time. So that was a lie. 
They said that he wasn't paying taxes to Caesar. Right, we see in Matthew, uh, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So that's a lie. But the only thing that everybody, I feel like, in the Gospels can agree on, it says that Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to be the Messiah, a king. Right, the Jews, they might not have agreed with him, but that's the entire reason that they're crucifying him, because he claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to be the Messiah. Pilate's okay with calling him king. He's like, okay, you want to be king of the Jews? Fine by me. The disciples know very well. That's why they're going um, following Jesus is so long because they believe that he is the Messiah. And Jesus, most importantly, he's the one that's saying, like, I am, the, I am the Christ, I am the son of the living God. And so this is the only thing that everybody's gonna be agreeing on through the entire story. See, the Jewish leaders, the reason why they're freaking out about all this is because their authority, their influence, it was getting, it was getting threatened by Jesus. And this is why we get into our first kingdom today, um, a kingdom with no king, and no truth. And the reason I say that they have no king was because the Lord's rule, right, they believed in God, they believed in Yahweh, claimed to be the one God. They claimed that title, but made his power, his rule, his kingdom subordinate to the power that they have made for themselves on earth. And more importantly, they had the king, right, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, looking right in front of him, did not want to accept him as the Lord and Savior. And I tell you guys this today, we'll get it explained a little bit more later on as we go through the lesson, that if we do not have Christ, if the Jews don't have Christ as their king, as their God, right, it doesn't matter if they proclaim Yahweh as their God, if we do not have Christ, then we do not have truth as well. This is why we have no king and no truth in this Jewish kingdom. See, Jesus says, if you reject me, you reject the Father. And so it makes sense why they needed to get Jesus out of there. They liked their power. They liked ruling over. They liked having the ability to make their own truth. So many people were getting, were getting so moved and convicted by, by Jesus. Right? They wanted this better life. They wanted to be in this better kingdom, one that was not oppressive and tyrannical and hopeless like the, Jew, the Jewish leaders were building up for them. They claimed God as their king and ruler, yet lived lives building up their own righteousness. They viewed their worth, their salvation, based on how well that they can complete the law. Not based on God's grace, on his love, on his mercy, but how much they were able to do. And some of you may know this is called legalism, um, and that could be a discussion for a different time, but their view of themselves and acceptance from God it's not established on who God is, right? Merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love, right? Exodus 34. But it was based on how well they could adhere to the law. And having this worldview, this belief system in mind, it often had them neglecting the grace and the love, the mercy that they were supposed to be giving to God's children. See, they were consumed by judgment. They were consumed by pride, consumed by building up their own glory rather than just giving it all to God. They sought praise in their own glory based on their works. They did not live, they did not act based on God as their king, though they claimed him as their king. So the first question I have for us today is how many of us have a kingdom like this? So we put ourselves on a pedestal for all the accomplishments that we have. We have our glory and praise all lies on me while being ignorant to the people that we hurt to the relationships that we destroy, 
Because everything's about us, the bridges that we burn, the sin that we are building up against God. And even worse is sometimes us in this room, Christians, we claim Jesus, God, as our Messiah, yet we choose to act like the Jewish leaders, thinking that we can be saved, knowing that we are saved by grace through faith alone, yet not acting as, it, as it's true. We're claiming the title, but not living that title out. I've seen this clear in my own life before. For those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm gonna be a senior uh, starting in September at NCBU. Um, and I'm going to study this. I'm going to study theology to hopefully one day be bald like the Broncos and have a church of my own. <laughs> Maybe not the Bronco part, because I'm a faithful 49ers fan, but uh, Alyssa, I'm, thank you. Alyssa, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm probably gonna be bald and uh, give me 20 or 30 years tops, but this is what I'm going for. And so being around people who love theology and loving the Lord, wanting to study scripture, it's really easy to judge each other on, on a ladder, on a ranking based on how much scripture we can memorize, based on how many theological topics we know and we know what they're about, knowing the up-to-date debate about some of these things, whether Calvinism or Arminianism is true, um, any of that kind of stuff. Whether we know um, how, how we think church should be ran, but it's not what we should be building our lives on. Now I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Christians should not be trying to study theology, should not be trying to learn the word more. That is gonna be the only way that we're able to be more mature Christians, right? If we don't know the truth, we can't live the truth. I'm not saying if we know it, we don't always live it. We're all imperfect, right? But if we, do not, if we don't wanna understand scripture, the only way that we're able to know who God is, then we won't know who God is. And if we don't know who God is, then all this worship, the communion that we partake in, the baptisms, the communion that we have on Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday nights, throughout all the week in small groups, it's gonna be vain. But guys, I encourage you to know this. Knowledge and good works and everything else like that is not gonna be what puts you in the right place with God. It didn't put the Jewish leaders right with God. It's, it doesn't put me right with God and it's not gonna put you in a higher position in greater love for God. So do we live in a kingdom with no king and no truth? And another thing, the Jewish leaders, they saw the Messiah, they saw this king. They didn't believe Jesus was the, um, was the Messiah, right? But they did believe in a Messiah coming to save them from this oppressive uh, lifestyle with under the nation of Rome, under the Roman Empire. You see, if you know your Bible well, you'll see that the, the Jews, they would sin. God would send prophets to warn them, like, hey, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't touch that stove. And then the Jews would sin. They would touch that stove, mess up. They would be thrown and taken over by some great, mighty, and powerful um, nation. And then God would have to come save them. And so that's what they were expecting now. It's a very tangible, very physical and visible way of how they view the kingdom. But if you look, the Pharisees asked this question to Jesus. What is the kingdom of God gonna look like? We look at Luke 17, verses 20 through 21, it says this. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. No, will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the Jewish leader's kingdom my kingdom, your kingdom, it looks a whole lot different than what Jesus says through scripture and through us in our lives today. 
Let's continue on, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to him and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say that on your own accord or do others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Here we have our second kingdom with a king, but still no truth. Right, Pilate, his political authority, he's the governor over Judea. That's why he's got to deal with his whole mess between Jesus and the Jews. We have Caesar, um, his boss, Tiberius Caesar, who's ruling over the, uh, the um, Roman Empire. And so these guys, just, just like the Jewish leaders, they still don't have Christ as their king. See, the Romans don't even believe in God in general. Different gods, but not the God of the Bible. And so Pilate is asking and answering these questions in confusion because... Right, he's worried about somebody actually overthrowing him and his boss. He's seen plenty of anarchists and revolutionaries, seen plenty of rebels, but as soon as he's walking in here, that's not the person that he sees. He sees a meek and calm and confident man in Jesus. Jesus doesn't look, Jesus doesn't fit the build, he doesn't fit the description of what a rebel or a person who is threatening people's authority looks like. Instead of meeting a violent rebel, he's face-to-face with the Son of God, who in reality, as uh, as this verse says, has the power to tell his disciples to take take over the city of Jerusalem. He has the power to send legions and armies of angels to come and take him to make sure the Jews don't get him. Pilate is just reiterating what the Jewish leaders are telling him. Pilate is completely indifferent to this drama that the Jews and Jesus are going through. He's only got to deal with it because he's leader over the land. I've been three months as the high school director, give or take, and I tell you some of the stories and drama that these high school kids, your high school kids, are coming up to me with, they're just, man, yeah. (laughs) They're coming up to me, and I couldn't tell you what kind of crazy stories that they have, but I just sit there and think in my head, I'm like, this is in the job description. So guys, what can I help you with? How, (laughs) How can I serve you this morning? And so this is what Pilate's doing. He's simply, he's just got to deal with it. He doesn't care about the spiritual indifferences. He only cares about saving himself and saving Pilate. Or I'm sorry, saving Caesar. So the same question that I have for this kingdom, do you have a kingdom like this? A kingdom with a king, but no truth. Now, I just want to clarify, Pilate, Caesar, they don't believe in Jesus, like I said before. But we can still, as Christians, as believers, do the same thing as he's doing right now. We can compartmentalize our faith or make it partial to where we can say, Jesus, you can be king, you can be Lord and Savior over my life. You can claim to be the Son of God. Yeah, I believe in the Trinity, but don't step where I'm not asking you to in my life. God, you can can go into my house, take up whatever room you want, but do not go in that basement, add a guest room where I have stuff of my own that I need to worry about. See, we only want God, we only want Jesus to be in some areas of our life because we know we have sin in it. We can be best pals, 
We can have amazing days with them. We can be praying, reading our Bible. Yet, if we still are impartial, compartmentalizing, putting Jesus in a box, then we are doing the same thing as Pilate, saying, sure, you are king. Or better yet, I'm gonna shape you, Jesus, into the way that I want you. I'm gonna read scripture so that whatever convictions I have, you're gonna shape that for me. So I don't have to be convicted of sin, I don't have to change anything in my life, and all is good. Maybe it's in our marriages, maybe it's in our finances, our sexuality, maybe it could be just be a certain sin that is king over our lives. Maybe it's addiction, maybe it's porn, maybe it's pride, lying and deceit, it could be laziness. We can have the truth just like the Jews, just like Pilate staring us right in the face and still be lazy and not want to take any action with the truth that is staring at us. It could be a certain ideology. It could be how we treat others. Maybe we're Christians all the way up until we clock in for work, until we step into the gates of school. Right, that born again life, that regeneration that the Spirit's done in our lives, that can be completely invisible as soon as we go into school or the workplace. Ask this question in your head right now. If me or somebody else went to your coworkers, your family, your classmates, and asked, hey, do you know this person's Christian? What would that answer be? Some of the answers you may not necessarily like. Others, if you say like, yeah, this man, this woman is professing Christ every single day, well, good for you, praise God. But I'm willing to bet not every single person in this room, sometimes even me, would say, oh, I did not know this guy was a Christian. Maybe we are just like Pilate in terms of how we are protecting our political figures. We can have these kingdoms, but instead of kings like us, we're protecting our governors, our presidents, our representatives, anything that is regarding the political system. This may make some of you guys mad, but you are not Christian just because you are Republican or conservative. It does not matter You are not just a Christian because you live a moral life or because you know good and bad. You're not just a a Christian because you wear the Second Amendment around or because you don't want people to pay taxes or because we hate homosexuality. That does not necessarily mean that we are under God's rule, that God is our king, that Christ is our Lord and Savior. And here's the kicker. God can still love Democrats too. And this goes on the other side. Democrats, God loves Republicans. Just because you have a certain idea of affirmative action or the way that you see immigration policy or the like, it does not make you Christian. If we are more worried about making America great again or keeping Biden in office more than us being willing and obedient to God in any circumstance our country is in, then I encourage you, Rethink that the way you see the world, our country, and more importantly, rethink the way that you see your faith. For those who were here last week, we just talked about unity with John chapter 17. If we are willing, if we enjoy to separate ourselves by conservatism, by liberalism, by republicanism, being Democrat, more than we are willing to be unified around the gospel, Like I said before, we need to rethink the way that we see the world and we see our faith. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are a true believer, you will fight for biblical biblical policies. 
I'm not telling you not to vote for the people who are right about certain um, ideas, certain laws, but nonetheless, that is not what necessarily makes you Christian. If you think that Jesus is for America more than any other nation, then just like Pilate, just like the Jewish leaders, we are in the same boat with how we view the kingdom of God. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. See, earthly kingdoms are based on force. They're based on pride and the love of human praise. They're based on glory, on lies, on deceit, on desire for domination across the entire world. It's all displayed in the Jewish leaders and Pilate and Caesar. Guys, do not, do not idolize people over God. Do not idolize people, things, yourself over your creator. And do not let Jesus, don't put Jesus in a box in your life, but let him consume, have a holistic faith, right? Just as John says, being all in in your faith. Do not be partial with it. See, Rome has passed away. America is going to pass away. So why not set our eyes, set our lives, our hopes, our cares on an eternal kingdom? To this point in the prophet Daniel, right, a few hundred uh, years before Jesus, he has this vision while they're um, outcast in Babylon, and he sees four different animals, right? Some are lions, another is like a leopard, and a few more. But in reality, we see later on that these are different nations that are coming and passing by, right? These mighty, powerful nations, and one would be established, and then the next mighty and powerful nation would just come and take that one out. This happened several times, but he has this vision, Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. He sees the Son of Man, that we later know as Jesus, right? It's the name that he calls himself the most out of any other title, the Son of Man, says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and, he, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." I think it's beautiful that we're able to see God's sovereignty through all this, right? The Jewish leaders, they have their own agenda. The disciples actually have their own agenda. Pilate and Caesar have their own agenda. Yet nonetheless, everybody's racing to this finish line, but Jesus can remain confident. He can remain peaceful and meek during this interrogation through the entire time because he already know how the race, how the game ends. See, what God declares is going to come. And what he has declared is a kingdom with the king and the truth in his son, Jesus. Let's read verse 37. It says, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. See, Jesus' purpose as a king, it wasn't to come in a throne with a red um, walkway placed out for him. He's got four guys carrying him on the sides. He's got fans blowing on him with grapes being fed to him with a nice robe, a nice little crown. But he chose to be, he chose to establish his kingdom by being a humble, suffering servant who makes his kingdom known in the hearts and of the minds of the people that know that the kingdom that they're establishing now in their own lives is surely going to fall to his and to the people who listen to his voice in truth. 
Another verse that shows this truly is Jesus' purpose, Luke 4, 43, it says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He is witness to the truth of his kingship, of his kingdom coming down on earth as it is in heaven. It was not by sitting on a throne, but it was by picking up a cross and taking it for us. And so we now have a kingdom with the king and the truth. Let's read these last three verses. Verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release you to the king? Release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Pilate asked the question to Jesus, what is truth? Right, how many of you have seen the old, the super old Febreze commercials of uh, being like nose blind? How many of you? I heard some people laugh. Please raise your hands. <laughs> so some of those commercials, right, they go, you might be used to that dog smell uh, in your car, but your passengers smell this. And it'd be like a little dog with a tongue sticking out the hood, and they're just driving down the road. Another one is, you might be used to that, so those smelly gym clothes in your hamper in your room, but your mom, when she comes in, smells this. And then all, the entire room, the curtains, the bed, the TV, the dressers, all of them would just be dirty socks. Right, another one, you get used to that mildew smell building up in your laundry in the, in the washing machine because you forgot to take the load out five hours ago, but your family is smelling this. That one's just for me. My mom's going to be here next 1045 service, and she, she's going to be shaking her head, but she knows exactly what I mean. See, Pilate is asking this question, what is truth, sarcastically, not because he cares, but because he doesn't think the question's worth his time. See, he's nose blind to the truth, even though it's staring him right in the face. The word of God, the son of God, the Messiah, the king, staring him right in the face during this interrogation. But he does not see, he doesn't sense the weight of this situation. He doesn't see the weight and the glory of Christ. So I think we can all agree that truth is a little something that we need more of these days, right? A lot of people are telling us, well, you find your truth. My, my truth isn't necessarily yours, and that's okay. Or even worse, there is no truth. But I tell you guys this morning, through scripture, through Jesus, we are able to see a bedrock foundation of what truth really is and the truth that you're able to set your lives on, that you're able to leave this old worldly life behind and to go follow truth. John 17, 17, it says, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth, right? This is from the last week, John preaching about unity. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see this connection between Scripture being the Word of God, Jesus being the Word of God, and the reason for that, the reason that there's such a parallel is because Christ is the perfect fulfillment of everything that Scripture says. Like I said in the beginning, the Passover is foreshadowing him. Moses, Joshua, all these kings are foreshadowing him. All the prophets are showing of a coming Messiah who's going to save them. We're able to know truth by God's word and through his son. So we know what truth is, but the theme of today, the kingdom, what is God's kingdom like? I've told you everything that it's not, right? A parent says everything that you can't do 
But I, I can finally tell you what a kingdom is, what you are able to do in this kingdom. So what does a kingdom look like? Is it just in the beginning, building up those stone walls, having a little flag, having guard towers with archers looking down on you? Or is it something a little bit different? Is it surrounding, having uh, the entire world? Is God one day going to reclaim and repossess the world? I'll say the answer is no. See Psalm, Psalm 24.1, it says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Jesus says, Matthew 28.18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, if we think that sin Man's shortcomings, the devil. The devil is ruler of this world. Do not get me wrong. But if we think that God has absolutely no control, no sovereignty over what is happening here, then the God of the Bible may not be the, the, the God that you are worshiping. Despite who we are, despite who the devil is, how powerful he may be, God is still over us, still over him, and he's still over the world. So what is the kingdom? John Piper, John Piper says, God's kingdom, it's not just a people, it's not just a realm. His kingdom creates those things. But what his kingdom really is, is his rule, his action, his sovereign governance, his authority and influence over his people. So if you are a believer in here this morning, you are in the kingdom of God. But how do we become, how do we go through that? If we can't get a Disney um, fast pass or Disney season pass and just walk in and walk out whenever we want from the kingdom, if we can't waltz in, if we can't get a visa to go in, how do we enter this kingdom of God? John 3, 3, Jesus says this, talking to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you take it in, your citizenship into the kingdom of God is being born again. You must have a new heart. You must have this righteousness and holiness so that you may be able to be in the presence of God. There's a thing uh, that I've been learning at school called imputation. It's kind of a fancy word. But what it really is, is I want you guys to picture a cross on this side and a little stick figure representing me on this left side. I just taught a baptism class, and actually a few kids, this next service is going to be getting baptized. Uh, this is the illustration I gave to them. So this little stick figure, this little ugly guy's me. So Jesus on the cross, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness, living a perfect life, and me, which um, sin and guilt, shame, a wage of death on me. When Christ died, when I put my faith in him, those things flip-flopped. So I encourage you guys this morning, which I highly, I'm assuming many of you need this. When you fall into sin, when you think that you're not able to be in the presence of God, whether you think like, you know what, I just fell into this sin that I've been working so hard these last few weeks, these last few months, these last few years, I can't read my Bible. I can't pray to God because God's mad at me. He set the standard, and I failed it, so I cannot be in communication with him. Will you tell you guys this morning the faith that we have in Christ? I told you those things flip-flop. So every time that God looks at you, if you are a believer, if you are a son and daughter of God, he sees his son. 
He sees righteousness, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness, because Christ has paid for all of those sins, all of those terrible things that we have committed against a perfect God, he has paid for that already in the cross. So if there is a sin this morning that you are thinking of that you didn't even want to come to church this morning, I tell you guys, be encouraged because Christ has already forgiven you for it. He's not like a father when their son and daughter falls and trips. He's not sitting there stomping his feet, shaking his head, calling you an idiot. I told you to watch out for that curb. Why'd you fall? But he's like a loving father who kneels down with open arms and comes to take you with love and grace and mercy. See, we are Barabbas. We are that sinner that deserved that position on the cross. But because of Christ's love for us, every nail, every beating, every whip, every second of suffocation on that cross, every blood, every piece of blood spilled, he paid so that his kingdom may be brought to fruition. He died so that our sins may be forgiven and so he may get the glory. So guys, to finish this off, do not be indifferent. Do not cast judgment on these Jewish leaders, on Pilate, on Caesar, because just like me, either one or both of the kingdoms we have become citizens, we are citizens of. Believers, my question for you this week, is his kingship, is his authority, is my, my citizenship in his kingdom really shown in the way that I live out my life? Is it shown in my relationships? Is it shown in my job? Do my kids see that in me? Does my wife, does my husband see that in me? Do I see that in myself? Do not be like the Jews, claiming God as your king, yet living the lives thinking that you can earn that salvation, that acceptance from God. But cling to the gospel. We have fallen short, yes. But if you are in Christ, there is forgiveness, so come back to the Father. Romans 8.21, I'm sorry, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, so when you sin, you're okay. Come back to God because he is ready to receive you. And for the unbelievers this morning, your, my question for you, is your temporary kingdom worth more than the eternal life that you can have in his? Do not be like Pilate calling Jesus king, being okay with Jesus as king, asking what is truth, you having truth stare at you right in the face. It could have been this week. You could be wrestling with it this year. This could be the first time that you heard the gospel. Do not let truth stare at you right in the face and not take action on it. But come to know that the gospel of Jesus is for everyone. Come, be a citizen, be a son and daughter of God in his kingdom where we have a king like Jesus and we have a truth like Jesus. Because if we are, we will soon know that there is no other kingdom that we would rather be in. I'm going to pray this out, but right after that, uh, if you guys need any prayer, um, if there's anything that's on your mind, we're going to have some uh, people up here. We'd love for you to come talk to us. Um, and with that, I hope everyone has a great day, but let's, us, uh, let's all bow our heads and pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning.
Thank you for the people that you've brought to hear your word. Lord, I pray that we now know what your kingdom entails. Lord, that it is a kingdom with a king as your son and with the truth as your son, and let us come be citizens of it. Lord, I pray that we may be reminded of your gospel, reminded that there is grace and love and forgiveness for those who are in you, that there is no condemnation. And let us go, as we have these questions in our mind this week, really reflect on whether we are living this truth out. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you, thank you. You guys have a great Sunday. You guys are my second audience, so this is one for the books. I appreciate you guys. Drive safe.